This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, July 27, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. The degree to which the United States is a surveillance state is largely unknown. The feds have admitted that Americans' rights have been violated by increasing surveillance of our communications, but questions about the size of that violation has produced unsatisfactory answers. Julian Sanchez, a research fellow at the Cato Institute, discussed the issue today at a Cato Institute e-briefing. One of the reasons I uh, focus on government surveillance uh, primarily is that both our own history, unfortunately, uh, and certainly the history of less free societies around the world uh, have made it extremely clear that the power of a government to monitor its citizens, and in particular its, its citizens' private communications, is one of the most dangerous and susceptible to abuse, especially without strong oversight. And we could spend uh, you know, an hour just talking about the really disturbing history of surveillance abuses in the United States uh, in the 60s and 70s before uh, we saw a recognition that it was necessary to create stronger oversight structures. And one of the problems we face is that Congress recognized then, and we still recognize, I think, that oversight, accountability to the public, is one of the strongest checks against abuse of surveillance power. And also, actually, an important constitutional requirement. When the Supreme Court in the 60s first started looking at uh, government wiretapping after deciding that it was not a constitutional problem for for many years, um, one of the things they focused on was the problem of secrecy, that wiretaps are necessarily done without notice to the person who's being tapped. Uh, And that's very different from the traditional rule that applies to ordinary physical search warrants. Typically, part of what allows those to meet the constitutional requirement of reasonableness is that you go to someone's home with the warrant and allow them to see why you're searching them and uh, to monitor the police as they they go about their duties to make sure they're not exceeding their legitimate powers. Um, Unfortunately, over time, a couple of factors have increased the amount of surveillance that happens both without the knowledge of the people who are under surveillance, so increasing the threat that you will be monitored by the government but never know about it, uh, and also uh, increasing the amount of surveillance that's really not visible to the public and in many cases even to Congress. Um, So one of the the best monitored kinds of surveillance is uh, traditional phone wiretaps. So uh, last year and every year there's a a really actually very useful report that the administrative office of the U.S. courts put out um, telling us how many wiretaps there are. And so last year there were about 2,700 and uh, about 800 of those were at the federal level. And they're almost entirely cell phones. Um, They're supposed to tally up how many are for electronic surveillance, so email, uh, text messages, that kind of thing. Um, And there were only four electronic surveillance orders that year and uh, 87 combination orders, meaning they tapped a phone and also planted a bug or or looked at email. So why so few as the amount of electronic communication has really exploded over time? Well, one reason is that it's usually much easier to get email records, other kind of electronic records, in different ways. For example, by demanding that a company like Google hand over the stored records of your email communications or your web activity uh, as opposed to trying to do a wiretap in real time. They can just sort of sit back and then gather it all at once. Um, And the problem is that that isn't subject to the same reporting requirements, which means that information is largely off the record. And Congress and the public, of course, have no real way of asking questions like, well, how much of this is happening? 
what is it used for? Um, so for example, you know, law enforcement, the FBI always go before Congress when they talk about wiretaps and they say we need more power to wiretap for terrorism, for kidnappings, to catch child pornographers. But we know that because we have these reports that about 85% of those phone wiretaps are used for drug investigations, not kidnapping, not murder. And that's important to making policy and understanding what the need for these very intrusive tools is. Um, and so that's something that's going off the record. One federal magistrate has, uh, has estimated that, at least back in 2006, there were probably 30,000 sealed electronic surveillance orders issued by courts around the country. And sealed usually means sealed until further action by the court, which means sealed indefinitely. Um, so that means, yeah, often, often uh, people and certainly the public won't have a picture of what the total volume of this surveillance is, whether it's useful, what it's being used for. Um, then there's the national security state has expanded in a way that, you know, as a result of the attacks of 9-11 that is, uh, you know, if possible, even more secret. Um, so there's a much more limited report um, that Congress gets every year uh, talking about, uh, about national security and foreign intelligence surveillance wiretaps. And there are about uh, 1,600 of those. It's actually recently been, been quite a bit higher. Um, but again, that's, that's really talking about traditional style wiretaps. There's a lot more surveillance activity that, because of technological change, is highly intrusive and useful, but flies under the radar. So one kind of surveillance um, that, that we talk about is pen registers. And these used to just be orders that don't give you the content of a phone call, um, but transactional information. So when was, when was a call made? What number was dialed or what number was dialing in? Uh, it was a pretty limited kind of, uh, of surveillance that didn't require the same high standard of showing probable cause to a court before it could be done. But as technology changes, the amount of information that can be obtained through these transactional uh, records orders has grown a lot. So it used to be that your phone, if it were monitored not, not for content but for this transactional data, would tell you about who people were calling. But now your phone is also probably a web browser and an email device. So these same pen register orders can reveal information about who you're sending emails to, what websites you're reading, which I think raises a lot more important First Amendment questions about permitting the monitoring of people's, uh, of people's First Amendment activity. Uh, and we know that that is much more common than simple wiretaps. Uh, this is something that the federal government is actually supposed to report to Congress every year. The last report we have, unfortunately, publicly is from 2009. Uh, and we know that in 2009, just the federal government, not all state and local, um, got uh, tw more than 12,000 pen register orders covering about 15,000 Americans. So that's a just exponentially larger magnitude of surveillance. And it's also something that's increased much more over time than wiretaps have. Um, the only reason we cannot estimate more recently than 2009 is unfortunately the Justice Department, despite being legally required to, just hasn't provided this information to Congress. In 2004, it basically dumped on them a pile of documents for the last five years' worth of this kind of transactional surveillance. And then it did the same thing again in 2009, and we just haven't heard since then. Uh, and Congress doesn't seem to have been too... Uh, too interested in demanding the Justice Department not wait five years to meet its reporting requirements. Um, 
a lot of surveillance is even more invisible than that. So the FISA Amendments Act, which basically created a legal version of President Bush's warrantless wiretap program, allows programmatic surveillance of international communications of Americans, meaning they just sweep in essentially a ton of stuff pretty much indiscriminately. The only real requirement is that it is uh, that one party, the targeted party, is overseas. So they can say, well, we think al-Qaeda is operating in Yemen. All calls and emails to or from Yemen are going to get swept in, and we'll search them later to figure out which ones need to be looked at. And a few members of Congress, Ron Wyden, who was here earlier this week at Cato, have said, all right, give us an estimate of how many Americans this is picking up. What's the, what's the scope here? Because if it's picking up uh, you know, a hundred Americans, maybe that's not a big concern. If it's picking up a thousand or a million, that is a big concern. And the National Security Agency and the Justice Department said, we can't tell you, uh, we can't even give you a ballpark estimate of how many Americans are swept up in this. Uh, and in fact, you know, because we're so concerned about privacy, it would violate privacy if we went through this database to try and figure out uh, how many Americans are being picked up. And I think that's pretty unacceptable. Um, we get also from some private companies that have started revealing this, uh, a really disturbing picture of the total volume of these different kinds of electronic surveillance that aren't captured in these usual metrics. Um, we know in 2007, for example, there were 650,000 suspicious activity reports that banks filed with the federal government on large money transactions that, or transactions that in some way seemed shady or, or requiring further scrutiny. Um, Sprint, this is the third largest telecommunications provider, uh, recently revealed to uh, Congressman Ed Markey that over the last five years, um, they've gotten almost 200,000 requests for location information because, again, as technology changes, a cell phone can be used as a 24-hour tracking device revealing everywhere a citizen goes. They get about half a million subpoenas every year. Uh, Google has volunteered uh, something about the kind of requests they get. And they say uh, that just last year they got uh, 12,000 law enforcement requests, a little more than 12,000, of which they complied with 11,400. So that's one company, a big company to be sure, but one company getting, or at least answering, more than 11,000 requests for individual data from different levels of government agency. Um, so what I think this shows is that the volume of electronic surveillance is vastly larger than what is, uh, you know, part of the official record and official reports that are released either to Congress or the public. And this is really, I think, incredibly troubling because, you know, legislators talk all the time about striking a balance between our civil liberties and our rights to privacy and the legitimate needs of uh, national security and of law enforcement. But you can't strike a balance if you can't even see the scales. And right now, we can't and even Congress can't. Julian Sanchez is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.